This content is for institutional investors and information purposes only. It does not contain investment, financial, legal tax or any other advice and should not be relied upon for this purpose. The materials are not tailored to your particular, personal and or financial position. If you require advice based on your specific circumstances, you should contact a professional advisor. Opinions expressed are those of the speakers as of the date of publication, are subject to change without notice and do not necessarily reflect Mercer's opinions. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Critical Thinking, Critical Issues. Today's discussion is a focus on the critical issues that are facing endowment and foundation investors around the world. Now, these are mostly long-term investors, but of course, the long-term is made up of a lot of short-terms. And this is a dynamic that we're going to be exploring a little bit uh, on today's podcast. Um, my name is Texas Hamilplard, and I'm responsible for Mercer's work with nonprofit investors here in the U.S., uh, I am so pleased to be joined by a team of two others for this podcast. This team literally covers the world. Um, first, Shane Brereton is joining us. He's a senior consultant with Mercer Australia in Sydney. And we're also going to hear from Alali Waganga, who is Mercer's U.S. chief investment officer. Okay, just to dive right in here, I'd like to start with perhaps asking, um, asking a little bit about inflation. High inflation over an extended time period can be really painful for long-term investors. Um, the good news, though, is that global inflation at a global level has come down, um, but inflation remains stubbornly high in some parts of the world, um, higher than in other parts. And Australia is one of those parts of the world where inflation has remained elevated. So um, perhaps I could start with you, Shane. Are endowment and foundation clients in Australia addressing the higher inflationary environment in the in their portfolios? And if so, uh, how so? Thanks, Texas. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, uh, inflation locally has not dropped quite as much uh, as the rest of the world. So we are still dealing with inflation uh, in some areas, and it's not dropping as much as our central bank or consumers uh, would like. So for our ENF clients, um, it's obviously mainly the long-term challenge uh, to maintain the real value of the fund uh, and to ensure spending can be maintained for as long as possible. Uh, for our clients, uh, we are reviewing the assets in the portfolio and expectations to inflation, uh, ensuring various asset classes are diversified where some can respond to shorter-term inflation spikes, uh, as we've sort of seen through the last couple of years, um, and then other assets that have medium to longer-term inflation responses. Um, the initial challenge was obviously with the poor markets um, and the high inflation. Um, had That's abated somewhat, um, and the markets are doing better probably than um, you know most people expected in the short term. Uh, and that's helped to challenge uh, or help somewhat in the challenge to combat the short-term inflation. Um, the next focus then is reviewing that medium to longer-term inflation expectations and how to set the portfolio up for that. Um, you know, do we have enough assets that can drive inflation plus returns with some level of certainty over those timeframes? Um, yeah, we're using a good mix within each asset class to try and combat that. Um, you know, in equities, do we have companies that can manage higher inflation environments well? Are they strong businesses? Are they well managed? Um, in the fixed interest exposures, you know, yields have improved a lot, um, but some are still uh, above or going to be above inflation. Some may not. Uh, so it's still a challenging area. 
Um, we are starting to see some investment rates for the longer term bonds not quite as attractive as the market moves on those expectations that we're expecting maybe some some cuts in the future. So yeah, reinvesting at some of those interest rates isn't as strong as it was. And maybe for us locally, you know, the inflation rate is still a bit higher than some of those. Um, the other main asset class we use here is real assets. Uh, predominantly unlisted property and infrastructure is quite popular locally. I mean, these can have really good inflation hedging. Um, although the interest rate movements and there's some sectoral differences within these asset classes within the economy, there's some challenges. Um, but, you know, they're at the moment, you know, there's still some good potential. So I think across the portfolios, um, I think, you know, people probably wanted to be a bit better set up for higher inflation, but making sure we're diversified across the portfolios kind of helps. Um, so that's the view from Australia. Thank you, Shane. I think it's really interesting to hear about the investments in uh, things like um, infrastructure and other real assets where perhaps Australia is uh, a tad ahead of, of those investments relative to the rest of the world. Um, maybe turning to Alalu, Alalu, how how does higher inflation affect endowments and foundations in the short term, long term? What are you seeing these investors do, if anything, in the current falling but higher inflationary environment that we're in now? Texas, you are correct. You, you know, we're, we're definitely seeing a broader normalization um, from an economic standpoint with regards to inflation, um, labor market data. We're, we're seeing this um, uh, overall softening. We expect inflation from a, a Mercer perspective uh, to normalize by the end of, of 24 in most regions, U.S. Um, in particular as well. Uh, however, for endowments and foundation, inflation has a more direct impact for some organizations, especially if you're operating. If you're an operating entity, um, your assets are expected to support your business, perhaps, then you probably experience a larger dependency on your investment pool uh, to be able to meet those elevated costs. If you are a healthcare institution, um, that level of inflation is even higher with labor costs, um, cost of supplies, those types of things. If you issue debt, your cost of borrowing um, that debt has gone um, higher as well, given where rates are. So the environment has had more of a direct impact on some um, of the clients that fall into this category and as a result impacted their investment pool. It means the investment pool needs to work harder to be able to generate um, returns. The flip side is there are some benefits um, to having higher rates. You know, we have high inflation, but we, the, the, they go hand in hand um, in, in this instance. Fixed income that was, you know, for lack of a better term, was dead for years. Um, in some regions, it was negative. Is actually generating some decent returns um, without taking as much risk as, as as people have needed to. Now, despite the fact that yields were lower for longer, and many endowments and foundations had lower allocations of fixed income, the policies didn't change. You were still a 70, 30, 60, 40, 80, whatever it was, um, but your actual holdings were much lower. Now. They're not changing their policies, but they are increasing their holdings maybe back to target. Some could be a little bit more. Um, at the same time, private markets, if you realize that you have a higher dependency on your pool, private markets, um, that allocation um, and, and role in the portfolio, we're seeing a greater need um, across the board. You are looking at private equity, you're looking at private credit, which is a floating rate instrument. So higher rates is good for the yields in that category. You're looking at inflation. In the U.S., there's been um, a number of regulatory uh, uh, policy updates, the JOBS Act, for example. Um, there's direct dollars and benefits um, to infrastructure. So the inflationary environment um, does have opportunities and pockets around it uh, for change. 
uh, but uh, higher inflation for some organizations is a direct impact for them. That is great, I think, thinking about holistically, I think is what you're saying, the holistically, the effect of inflation uh, can be really beneficial for folks that are fiduciaries over endowment and foundation portfolios and the broader holistic organization. That's that's really great. Um, perhaps switching gears a little bit from what can hurt endowment and foundation portfolios over the long term the most, and that's inflation, to what can really help endowment and foundation portfolios the most over the long term, a lot of that's private investments. And perhaps I'd like to move to discussing private investments a bit, or um, in some parts of the world called unlisted assets. Um, in Mercer's global NFP survey, nonprofit survey in 2023, most investors expressed satisfaction with the performance of their private investments allocation. That's terrific. That's the past. Uh, but what does the future hold? What are some of the risks that need to be taken into consideration here as we look forward um, in what has been an inefficient asset class, but maybe increasing inefficiency? And so, Alalu, maybe to, to turn uh, to you, what, what should endowment and foundation fiduciaries be paying attention to with their allocations to private or unlisted investments, especially in today's environment. Thanks, Texas. So if you were to look at your overall portfolio, um, the number one thing you want to make sure that you have at all points in time is, is diversification. So one can break up their portfolio into three categories of risk. For the most part, you can have sovereign risk, um, so w within your um, uh, fixed income portfolio, what have you, you can have corporate risks. So holding the equities or equity managers, um, fixed income. So corporate risk would be credit um, related risk. And then you have real assets. So if you had another way of slicing your portfolio and looking at those three risks, we'd have, um, you have the ability um, to be able to look at private markets um, frankly, across all three, um, because you, you can have this type of implementation um, in public market form, um, but you can have it in, in private form as well. And the benefit of having um, unlisted exposure is that's typically where it's harder to access, meaning that the opportunity to generate returns and finding um, opportunities there uh, rather than in markets that could be a little bit more efficient um, is possible. So within um, private markets, uh, endowments and foundations, what they're paying to, what they're paying attention to um, within uh, um, private markets are the opportunities that we are seeing in, you know, real estate, um, for example. So that is one area um, in the private markets realm that has, with the higher rate environment, been somewhat challenged. But we're finding opportunities in the distressed space in private markets. We are finding infrastructure opportunities, that, as I mentioned um, earlier, um, in that. And then private credit and private equity, all three, um, you can still incorporate within your portfolio and build that diversification. That diversification might be a great place to maybe shift over, Shane, over to you. What are the trends that you're seeing with Australian endowments with respect to private unlisted investments in their portfolio? Yeah, thanks, Texas. Yeah, for many of our clients, um, they've been fairly active in the unlisted property and infrastructure space, as we tend to call it. Um, you know, locally in Australia, our CBDs um, in the main cities have pretty strong property assets, particularly in the high-quality office buildings. Um, although in the last year or so, we have seen some um, like easing evaluations in maybe the lower quality stuff. So there's quite a range in, in quality in that sector. Um, infrastructure, though, continues to be a key solution. 
Um, and they're quite varied solutions there, um, both locally and globally, um, to help meet the investment goals uh, for you know a lot of the, the investors, depending on different areas uh, of what they're trying to achieve. Um, particularly relating to inflation as well. You know, these assets can tend to have some good inflation hedging over time. Um, there's been quite a lot of growth in the opportunities uh, in private markets uh, lately, and particularly in the last year or so, there's a lot more products becoming available here, um, and especially in the private debt space. And, you know, private equity's probably been around a little bit longer, but that private debt space is really coming on in Australia a bit more uh, available, similar to what Alawi said. Um yeah, I think though the challenge in the past couple of years for these clients was with the lower yields. Yeah, we were trying to eke out the return without too much risk, and that was really pushing into other areas. And I think with interest rates coming up, that's maybe not as strong as it used to be. Um, but I think the diversification that the pri- private markets can have uh, can be valuable. Um, you know, particularly uh, where we, if we're seeing you know, public markets being fully priced, um, you know, trying to find where that alpha is. Um, you know, some of these private markets can potentially generate a little bit more alpha there. Um, I would say it does add to the diversification to some of those drivers as well, given some of the exposures they have relative to some of the public markets. Um, although I probably would note some caution, uh, particularly if there is some re- recessionary fears on the on the horizon, on um, how some of these products and assets and some of the underlying investments might go. But that's probably fair in in any space. Um, yeah, so I think we're still being cautious in that approach. And I think for a lot of our local investors too, yeah, how much of their illiquidity budget do they have? Um, given we have been using unlisted property and infrastructure for quite some time, yeah, they've probably filled up the illiquidity bucket there. Um, I think though, you know, as the next year or two goes and some of those um, you know, trout investments sort of mature and roll off, we may not be replacing as much with the property infrastructure again and diversifying a bit more into the private markets. Uh, so I think that's sort of some trends we're seeing there. Um, although overall, I'd say we are seeing more investors warming up and allocating to private markets uh, as they review their portfolios and expectations, particularly to, to what we talked about earlier in inflation. That's really helpful, Shane. And I'm hearing some echoes of what you said from what Dalalu said around diversification and some of the risks and things to be careful about as we look forward here. Um, it is, though, great to hear that more investors are warming up to private markets and that broader diversification looking forward. Um I started the introductory comments of this podcast by mentioning that the long term is made up of a lot of short terms. So as we sit here in early 2024, it, it might be helpful to leave fiduciaries, those that are listening to this this podcast, fiduciaries of endowments and foundations, with some takeaways for just 2024 here. So perhaps, Shane, to turn to you, what's one closing thought that you would leave to fiduciaries overseeing long-term BNF portfolios for 2024? Yeah, I think probably with a view to where we are in the market cycle and that 2023 was perhaps better year than um, many were expecting, Um, although I think it's still worthwhile to be cautious looking forward. Um, However, that doesn't mean being risk averse, um, but probably more ensuring that you have a strong understanding of where the drivers of risk and return are coming from in your portfolio, um, especially with regards to various market outcomes, you know, some stress testing, that kind of thing. Um, And then if those risks are acceptable to your fund. Um, and then on top of that, are you adequately prepared to navigate through those troubled times? I'd say both with portfolio diversification, but also the investment policies you have um, for your endowment that can help sort of get through troubled times if you've got good policies that are implemented easily within the portfolio. Probably my fault. Got it. Got it. So examine your policies, examine your downside stress scenarios and what that looks like and make sure you gain some comfort on that. That's uh, this point in the economic cycle sounds very reasonable. Um, Alalu, to, to, to you, same question. What What's one closing thought that you'd leave to fiduciaries here 
uh, particularly those overseeing long-term assets um, as they look to plan out uh, what they're doing in 2024. I would say this is the best time to really, really think critically about objectives. What are the objectives for your organization? What are the objectives for your asset pools? Have those objectives changed over time? And do you have the portfolio today? Um, you know, we've seen inflation at multi-decade highs. It's coming down. We've seen rates at uh, decade highs, and that's coming um, supposed to expect it to come down, you know, maybe later in the year as well. Is the portfolio that you have today the same one that you had 10 years ago? If so, maybe we should be revisiting. Um, and we're encouraging all clients to look critically at their asset allocation, look critically at what they have today and see if that aligns with the overall objectives. Thank you all, Lalo. That's a really nice echo to the title of this podcast series, Critical Thinking, Critical Issues. Objectives, clearly one of them. Really appreciate all of the input, Lalo and Shane. Thank you so much today. And thanks, of course, to everyone that's listening to this podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and, and leave a review there. That really helps us out. And if you would like to discuss further this topic or any other topic, please reach out to us. Contact us at ctci at mercer.com. That's ctci at mercer.com. Thanks again.